Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, I guess it's a goodly morning, as you can tell from my voice. Maybe it was a goodly night the night before. That might it's be been a accurate. goodly weekend, and we're living with the consequences of that yes, at this point. <laughs> I think we are. Uh, my voice, if I can get through this entire podcast without croaking or breaking uh, down completely, I think I will be... I will be doing well. You'll be doing very well indeed. I'll yeah. be doing very well. Um, but it was all worth it, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It absolutely was, given everything that we've uh, we've done over the weekend, the live event, uh, going to a game again, mm-hmm. seeing some, some new friends and old friends who I haven't seen for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I do think that three nights on the trot is, is pushing it when you're a man of my age. Sure. But, Sure. But I wouldn't change it for a bit. You know, it's been it's been a whole lot of fun. Yeah. It really has. It has. It's been amazing, yeah. And what was it? Oh, we'll, we'll get to the game. We'll get to the game. But the event was... Uh, well, we, I suppose we should thank everybody who came out because it was just brilliant. Yeah. Um, what, 800-something people in Union Chapel? Mind-blowing, really. That, mm. that, that moment when we came on stage and there was this gigantic roar you know it was like a stadium reacting to a goal i've never experienced anything like that before and i wasn't expecting anything like that i thought you know applause applause, yeah light applause as you come on but that was that was something else and uh yeah you're right we got to thank everybody who, who bought tickets and came along and um you know pretty much everybody i think um had a fantastic time i didn't get any complaints, which is a good thing from <laughs> from any of the uh, participants or certainly any of the attendees. No, people seem to really enjoy it, which is nice. There's always that sort of insecurity of how interesting is it going to be? I was just chatting about football, but yeah, then that is why people are listening, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it was very podcasty, you mm. know. But look, uh, the fact that we can sit and talk into microphones week after week after week and it can translate into something like a live event is really is really amazing you know and uh, you know after the week we had I won't lie I will say I was a little bit I was a little bit worried I was a little bit anxious because you know all the while I was looking at the fixtures and like you and like everyone else I was going come on get top four it's going to be it's going to be brilliant for the club for the season everything else but there was a part of me as well that was like just get top four so we can have a good celebration um big champions uh, league party yeah big champions league party and we wanted that you know we wanted that to be a a fun night and a celebration but i think we we were able to do that anyway and and i think that's a testament to the way people are feeling about this season in a way maybe it's got something to do with us i don't know but it could have been a miserable evening but it wasn't and that's um yeah i was very heartened by that yeah i think so and it's a long time in the making. It's been a long time since we've 
done anything like that for obvious reasons. Yeah. And so it was great to put so many faces to names and meet so many people. It was just lovely. So, yeah, thank you to everyone who came along. And, and sorry for those who tried to get tickets and couldn't. I know there were plenty who, who wanted to be there who couldn't be as well. Yeah. yeah, and we will hopefully now, as the world is a little bit better, um, uh, do a few more of these. Whether we do as many crossover episodes, I don't quite know. Um, mm. Why? What have they said about me? Uh, well, I'll tell you now in a second. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we got to say thanks as well to, to Elliot, Clive, yeah. uh, Paul and Tim as well, um, because... Uh, they played a huge part in making this uh, event a success, and it was great hanging out with them as well. On on uh... Uh, yeah, and stealing their audience, it was great. <laughs> um, no, it was it was very cool to do it together. And again, I sort of thematically, it sort of fit. You know, we spoke a lot about that sense of unity and people being together. So doing it collaboratively felt appropriate, really. No, I agree. I agree. And uh, look, it's a, an experience um, that I won't forget, you know, um, to to do something like that with these guys. And, uh, you know, we have crossover in our audience and our listeners and all of that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, they're good guys to hang out with, mm. apart from Elliot. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's, he's amazing. He really is. I don't know where he gets the energy from. Fair play. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. You know, I don't know either. They can, listeners can probably tell that we don't know that this morning. Yeah. <laughs> listening to the sound of our voices. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was really, really fun. And then obviously followed that up the next day with the game. Yeah. It's weird. I'm sitting here now this morning and, I, you know, that difference between what you know about a game of football when you go to it versus when you watch it on TV is, is really quite interesting. Yeah. Because... I haven't seen Match of the Day or I haven't seen no. any replays. I haven't seen the goals again. Um, I saw the Martin Odegaard goal on the screen in the stadium, but it was like at least one third of the screen was obscured. So I saw his mm -hmm. feet and it was a really beautiful looking goal. Um, but it's it's interesting to be reminded of that, that at home when you're watching on TV, you have every angle of every incident and you have a really um, broad view of what's happened and how it's happened and I don't quite know how some of the things happened in yeah. that game yesterday well I guess as well when you're at home you're working too so you're looking at sort of particularly forensically I imagine yeah maybe moment by moment whereas in the stadium you know you've probably had a couple of drinks it sort of washes over you slightly more. It's yeah. broad brushstrokes. There, there were times when I was sort of watching the Everton fans who were like they were having a great day because obviously they, they saved themselves. So they were just having a, a fun time among themselves. Mm -hmm. And when we scored, we were above them. So when uh, we scored, they were like just giving us fingers and turning around and waving at them. So, you know, I was turning around and waving back, all that kind of stuff. And then you realize, oh, yeah, there's a game of football going on, actually. I'll just yeah. I'll turn my attention to the pitch. You can get distracted by, by certain things uh, within the stadium that take your focus off the game momentarily. <laughs> and, you know, maybe something important happens at that moment moment but that's true i think the everton fans had a great day generally because one of the biggest cheers of the day was man city's third goal they went uh, pretty yeah. crazy for that they one. were really quiet they lost their fucking voice very quickly when i asked them they, they were like it was dead right like they weren't moved they were shitting themselves they were absolutely shitting themselves and i was thinking you know obviously you can you can imagine the situation if your great rivals were going for something and then you know, it's taken away from them. But the the possibility that Liverpool might nick the title 
uh, scared them into complete silence in mm. the second half. And then, of course, they found their voice again. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. I mean, it, I suppose it was interesting going into the game, speaking about results elsewhere, how much were you having an eye on Norwich? How Did you have hope? Not really. Yeah. Not really. I mean, they're bottom of the table for a very good reason, aren't they? Um, so, no, I, I, it would have taken something extraordinary, um, like ascending off or like, um, you know, Tottenham absolutely shitting the plague. Pit. Yeah, the yeah. plague, something. <laughs> so, I, you know, realistically, I like everyone I hoped, but realistically, I wasn't expecting it. So, when it didn't happen, it wasn't like... Um, I was disappointed. Of course, I'm disappointed, but it wasn't unexpected or anything yeah. like that. I think if they'd been playing uh, a real team, proper team, that might have given them a game. To be honest, almost as any other team in the league. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, could they have played Burnley and, you know, whatever yeah. in a scrap for survival? Anyone but Norwich or Watford, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, And we might have had more of a shot, but as it was. Now, I, I didn't have huge attention on that. And, and I think... That gave the whole day that sort of end of term, stakes are lower yeah. feeling. And, and Everton, if you think about it, their fans must have been dreading this day in the weeks running up to it, thinking we're going to have mm. to go there needing something. They're going to be pushing for top four. Um, and I think the pressure sort of came out of the day. And maybe we saw that in the respective performances of the two teams as well. Yeah. Everton were only there because they had to be. Yeah. And some of them weren't even there. Jordan Pickford wasn't picked, and had an injury apparently. Did he? Yeah, I saw somebody say that. We were was still been out you, celebrating. I think was it, were, we were we still watched together. Yeah. yeah, and you went. Is that Jordan Pickford just walking by? It was indeed. And it, was, it was. Um, and Richarlison, he was absent as well, mm. wasn't he? I think injury again, maybe. Maybe, yeah. But I think you know they knew they were safe, and and we knew well. I think we needed a 15-goal swing if Spurs drew, so we got a third of the way there. Well, yeah, we didn't do too badly in that no. regard. I mean, you will, I think you're right to say it was like end of term. It felt very end of season. Everton went through the motions. Calvert-Lewin, I kept an eye on him a little bit. Um, that man can jump. Yeah. He's got incredible timing, an incredible leap, um, but I don't know if... His salmon-esque qualities are sufficient for us to splash big money on him. We need him to, to score some goals as well. But, you know, yeah. he, he did just a couple of things that were eye-catching enough that if Arsenal were looking at him, it was like, okay, he can do that. And we don't have that, but beyond that. I thought he was working quite hard, actually, maybe even more so than, well, substantially more so than some of the other Everton players. And you do wonder if it's projection, but maybe he had to sort of, Half an hour thinking, oh, Arsenal might be watching me here. He was involved in their goal. Listen, he's he's a very big aerial threat and he's great presence in that part of his game. I think it's just a question of, has he got the other aspects? Yeah, yeah. he's he's also in fantastic shape. I saw him at the end with his shirt off. He's right. He, listen, physically very impressive young man. Yeah. Anyone who can pull off a, a schoolgirl's outfit quite like him, you've got to have a good frame to be working with, you know? <laughs> um. I didn't see, or I don't know if you've seen the the replays for the penalty or whatever. There was a long time. It felt like a really long time between the potential handball and the screen flashing up that they were looking at it uh, by VAR. Yeah, it was almost like I'd forgotten about yeah. it. it. We'd all moved on. Did you think it was a penalty in real time? 
I couldn't tell. I sort of thought I saw a handball, and I think Martinelli appealed quite did, uh, straight yeah. away, which made me think a little bit. But play a gun on so long, I didn't. I just it's a wobe, and he, he sort of sticks. He does lift his arm basically. He sticks right. his arm out, outside his body. Um, it's clear as day, actually. And what's I was the wrong side of it, so I didn't see it in real time. So it felt like a bonus to me. But yeah, when you see the replays again. The most obvious decision you'll see, and I was, I was slightly surprised that it was Martinelli who took it. I yeah, I thought it might be Saka. I thought so too. Saka took them against um, Chelsea and United, and United did them very well. But it was a very good penalty from Martinelli. I think maybe there was just a sense that Martinelli, having gone through a relatively fallow period in in front of goal, could do with a goal just to sort of end the season and, and get him back. Yeah, I think so, uh, and also. He was the designated penalty taker when Saka took it against Chelsea. Ah. Um, it was supposed to be Martinelli, and Saka wanted it in that moment. And I think on the bench there was some consternation and mm. uh, surprise at that. And then, yeah, it looked like Saka might take over, but maybe Martinelli felt as well it was his shot. You know, he felt like yeah, yeah, yeah. he deserved the opportunity. He tucked it away really well. And then he went to celebrate with uh, Shad Forsyth. Who, of course, is uh, is leaving the club. We might talk about that um, yeah. a little after. Martinelli got an assist. He had a flick on for Enkedia's, um, Enkedia's goal yeah. for 2-0. Yeah. Striker's goal. Penalty box goal. That's what he does, isn't it? It is what he does. And I was pleased for him. I mean, who knows what his future holds. His contract <laughs> expires imminently. Mm. This may well have been his last Arsenal game. Um I'm not so sure on that. I, th- I still think there's a chance he'll stay. And What do you base that on? Because I know we've had this discussion more than once and ultimately it's it's been about, I think we've come down on the side of like, we know Arsenal would like him to stay, mm. but if he wants to play regular football, then he may well have to... He may well have to go. Yeah, I mean, I said this to you yesterday, but I didn't say it to the listeners, so I'll repeat it. Sure. So bear with me. That's okay. But I, I do just think that you're right. If you're looking at it in a cold, rational way for his career, probably he should go. He should go and, and be a first-choice striker somewhere. If you're thinking about it purely logically. But I just think in life, I don't think people always make logical decisions. Mm. And I think... He loves Arsenal. He will have really relished this period where he's been playing and scoring goals. And I also think don't underestimate the self-belief of a professional athlete. I think he would he he may have it in him to believe, listen, I know you're going to buy another striker, but I believe I can be that good. And I it's it's a pure hunch. I I'm not I don't have any I'm not party to any information about this mm. but my my instincts are telling me that there's a chance and and if when I look to the players listen we're all doing our analysis of the post match oh, we'll get to that we'll get to that don't <laughs> worry we'll get to that but I just felt maybe his lingering and his goodbye wasn't quite as pointed as some others mm. which plays into my burgeoning theory all right well time will tell in that regard I think mm. um Everton got a goal just before the break quite sloppy yeah, it looks really sloppy it's really sloppy yeah it's kind of everybody switches off defensively mm. right on half time as well I mean it literally was like the last kick of the half yeah. I don't think we barely even kicked off afterwards yeah. so that was frustrating and, and that's been a 
am I right in saying that's been a bit of a habit? I feel like uh, clean sheets have been in short supply in the last very few short weeks. supply, and there's been yeah. games where we should have had them. Like this was one where we, sh- mm. we should have kept a clean sheet. Really, Leeds, you'd say, would be another against ten men, completely dominant, conceded off a set piece. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those have really dried up. I mean, first half of the season we had a really good run of clean sheets, especially at home. Mm. Uh, and we've struggled in the second half of the season. So that was disappointing and a, a bit of a, a blight on the day. But it didn't give Everton any way back into the match. And Arsenal do deserve credit for that. They came out in the second half and they you know, they blew them away, really. Yeah. Cedric with a cross right into the back of the net. <laughs> <laughs> to be yeah. fair, it is, it is a decent finish. It, it is was. A decent Elliot finish. was insistent it was a cross. Yeah, he I was. Gotta say. Yeah, we were sitting, I was sitting beside Elliot and he was like, he wasn't having it. That's a cross. That's a cross. <laughs> no, look, I'd be the first person to say when Cedric banks a cross, yeah. but that's not a cross. That was a good hit, a really good finish. Um, I mean, he can connect with the ball relatively well. I don't know why we don't have anyone better for corners and set pieces and stuff like that, but that's a good finish. Yeah, I thought he actually played well yesterday, Cedric. I thought he was good. Are you going to join me within that or not? Um, no, no comment. I, no comment. I thought he was very Cedric. Right, okay. I thought he was quite Cedric indeed. I thought he had one of his better games, especially going forward. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great finish on the goal. I mean, nice, yeah. nice corner routine as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I was watching um, uh, Nicholas Yover uh-huh. um, a little bit when set pieces were uh, were given, and there was one very early in the second half where I think Nuno gave the ball away. It's a really sloppy pass. Then made a foul, and Everton had a free kick um, on their right, not far outside our box, I and remember. he was quite animated on the on the touchline as we got the ball away. So. He, he gets up and down, doesn't he? When the set pieces, he's right there as if somehow his presence beside Mikel Arteta transmits something to the players. I don't know what it is. Maybe just little routine he has or whatever, but Yeah, quite interesting. I mean, it could just be adrenaline on his part. That's his focus, yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm skeptical about how much he can be communicating in those moments. No, I don't, uh, not much. I, maybe he's just there... He's there because, you know, if a player scores off a set piece, he knows they might run to him. He wants to be ready to embrace them. <laughs> he's there, arms outstretched. He just really likes hugs. He loves hugs. Right. Because um, I think, it was, was it him Martinelli ran to in the Brighton game when he scored the disallowed goal? Um, Could have been. Yeah. Sorry to bring that memory mm. flooding back for everybody. Um but where were we in the game? I've, I've slightly lost track. Well, it was Cedric's. Oh, Cedric's, Cedric's goal. goal. Yeah, yeah. Cedric's goal. Um, I quite liked his celebration as well. He gave it quite a sort of like macho. I, I didn't see it. I didn't. I haven't seen it. Oh, so. he, it wasn't really anything. He just sort of, you know, clen- trent, um, clenched all his muscles for right. the crowd. It was kind of, it was it was a bit Cristiano Ronaldo. And I was beefcake. like, yeah. And I was like, steady on, Cedric. You know, <laughs> it was a good goal, but let's not get carried away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised like some kind of organism, he didn't split himself into smaller versions and <laughs> just celebrate with himself. Because he's always first on the scene. I didn't see the Gabriel goal other than the, there was a shot and then it looked like it was a save. And then did it squeeze under Cedric the goalkeeper? Assi- it's a Cedric assist, Andrew. Wow. You know. Okay. Lovely through ball from Cedric Suarez. Um Yes, it sort of goes through the goalkeeper. It's a slightly scruffy finish, but not bad for a centre-half. And I think that took him to five Premier League goals, um, which 
I think might make him our joint top goal scorer. Or no, that's not right. It's as it's as many as our any of our strikers have got in wow. the league season. Okay. Because so I think Eddie's got five. <laughs> I think Lacquer and Ober are in that ballpark as well. Right. Well, if that doesn't sum up what we've got to do this summer, I don't know what does. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I think it maintains Gabriel's record as the highest scoring centre-back in the league, which to be fair, mm. that is, some credit is due for that. And it's a part of the game that's important. We had Laurent Koscielny, didn't we, for a few years, who you could sort of bank to, onto Nick a goal here and there. Yeah. Um, Thomas from Ireland in his day, of course. Thomas from Ireland, yeah. Certainly when he arrived. Mm. But uh, it's very useful to have a centre-half who's a threat in the penalty box, and Gabriel is that. No, it is. And I think when you look around and you look at the goals that we have scored this season, the ability to get goals from different positions, not being overly reliant on one player to be the talisman, you can say that that is clearly an encouraging thing. And if they can continue to do that, to develop and to score and make assists, you know, that's really positive. Mm. But still... You know, it hammers home the oh, piece the that's missing. Yeah. You know, we don't need to, we don't need to do that to death. I think today there's loads of time for um, season post mortems and analysis and and all that kind of stuff. So, Martin Odegaard's goal, goal was, of the day. Yeah, that was lovely. I mean, even from the far end uh, of the stadium, you could see how good a goal that was. Mm. The quick feet and then the sort of past finish yeah. into the bottom corner uh, he's a treat to watch isn't yeah he? he's lovely I watched him closely yesterday and I, I really like he's him class, I, I really think. like him some of the the uh, the deftness of some of his little touches and flicks are you know they're obvious on TV as well yeah um, but they sort of feel a little bit more unexpected yeah when you're when you're in the ground in a way yeah the improvisational element sort of comes across more and his, un- his intuition to understand, you know, where Saka's going to be on that flank and just find him around the corner. And he moves with real, I think grace probably is the word, his touch is deft. I love watching him. Mm. And this goal was great. At the live event, I picked um, Emil Smith-Rowe's goal against Chelsea as my favourite goal of the season because yeah. of that sort of lawn bowls finish. And this was another one. He just like... It was like a snooker shot, wasn't it? Just perfectly into yeah. the corner. Yeah, lovely goal. Lovely goal. Um, there were some changes made during the game. Um, yeah, Grant, which were the subject of debate, I understand. They, they certainly were. You guys. They, so, well, the the Granit Xhaka substitution, mm. when he brought him off for um, Sambi. Sambi, I was sitting next to Elliot, and Elliot's like, well, that's it. He's going. He's definitely going this summer. Now that is that's a hundred percent. That is Xhaka gone. Um, I didn't quite read that into it. Nevertheless, I do think it was quite an interesting substitution because he never comes off, does it? He no. He very very rarely gets taken off. And I was thinking, okay, well maybe there's um, something going on with El Nenny and and his future. He might. Uh, sign a new deal I read uh, one year deal whatever it might be the, the, the paps caught him doing the uh, yeah. photo shoot it seems in the well, media room Kai Karnak did you see that yeah I did see that yeah. took a photo of him posing with a, a pen so, the smoking pen make of that what you will yeah. Mohamed El Nenny has a pen what else could he be doing unless he just is sitting in there doing doodles maybe he really likes doodling or that's true yeah could like be. a caricature artist but did you read anything into the Shaka substitution because I know you wrote a piece yeah yesterday, yesterday. morning yeah. It published about my hunch that he might go um, 
I didn't read too much into it. I, I thought he got a really good reception and that was quite telling mm. in itself because obviously time has been, that wouldn't have been the case. Um, it was it was unusual. I, I think on balance, I was it was more maybe about giving Sambi some minutes at a time where he's barely figured in the second half of the season, it feels yeah. like. And he, you know, is an important player, I think, for our future. And it is going to feature more next season, especially with European football. But I understand where Elliot's coming from. There was something slightly unusual about the fact they were Shaka. Why, you know, could have easily been Elneny or... Yeah, could easily. I thought it it probably would be. Um... Although I enjoyed seeing Sambi take Shaka's position and play a little bit higher. You know, I I know the, the club sort of see him as a number six and a deep midfielder and they think he can play that party role in future. But I think that's still a way off for him just in terms of sort of the demand and the pressure that mm. on that position. You know, experience is so important there. I think Elneny's shown that. But I think Sabi's got the capability to play in one of these, you know, number eight roles a bit further ahead. And it was nice to see him pop up in their box a few times in the second half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought he looked quite bright when he came on. Yeah, he did. Um... Then Lacazette came on, Nicolas Pepe came on yeah. for what you imagine are going to be swan song performances for both. I mean, if you were a conspiracy theorist, I guess you could say those two substitutions both felt like they were about goodbyes. Yeah. And so maybe the, the third could have been as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Lacazette made perfect sense to come on, I guess. And Pepe... If there's a time to bring Pepe on, it's when you're four or five, one up, or whatever it was at that point in time. Yeah. It was four at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I really think both of those were, this is your this is your chance to just play a final few minutes yeah. and, and say goodbye and, and all that kind of stuff. So 5-1, we end up fifth in the table. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know how much you can analyze a game like this. You know, no. some will say like, okay, pressure's off and you perform and you win a game 5-1, et cetera, et cetera, which is, you know, not uh, unreasonable, but also Everton were terrible. They didn't give a fuck at that point. It was all about staying up. They did that. I think they were pretty well, pretty well spent. Um, and I don't, yeah, I, I think I need personally a bit more time just to sort of think about the the analysis of the game and the season overall. And we've got a whole summer of podcasting ahead of us. So well, there's no rush then. No, case. I don't think so. But there are a few other bits and pieces I think that we can talk about maybe is the, the lap of appreciation, which mm. we stayed and, and we watched mm. together, which I thought was a bit odd in that half-hearted, it was almost half hearted, which again, I completely understand. Um, it felt a little disjointed. Yeah. Like they were standing around for a while and then Rob Holding just said, well, someone's got to do it. So I'll go out in front. I think he was first around. Um, yeah. I think there were some issues getting families down ah. because obviously all the families are in their seats or in mm. their boxes and they sort of had to send for all the families at full time to come down. Right. But they were arriving in drips, drips and, and drabs, drabs and yeah. everyone had to be checked. Who are you? So I think it, that probably affected that sort of flow of people out of the tunnel. But sure. I, I remember these uh, laps of appreciation being sort of, you know, the team would sort of go around together. Yeah. 
and it wasn't yeah. really uh, the case. No, it was it like, wasn't on message, really. <laughs> no, it was sort of like a collection of individuals going around to varying degrees of applause or non-applause or indifference or whatever it might be, which I just, you know, I just thought was a little bit odd because I, I think within the stadium yesterday there was um, certainly a willingness to appreciate what the the team have done, mm. even if you know we don't have to keep saying it, the the disappointment of not making the top four and, and everything else. Atmosphere was great. I it, mean, those was, guys in the clock end are amazing. I have they? to say, they were absolutely outstanding. Mm-hmm. I was watching because they were down to my left and the Everton fans were down to my right. And it was quite interesting. At one point, Everton fans, jeez, I'll tell you what, the, the flare situation, right? Everton had a load of blue flares and a few of them sure. came on the pitch at one point. And then the police and the stewards were keeping a close eye on the Everton fans. And at one point, the, someone was picked out in the Everton end. And there was a policeman standing there with what looked like a kind of, uh, he had a, a tripod type thing. And he was filming. The police went up and they took some guy out, um, took him out of the end. I don't know what he did or what happened or anything else. But also a little bit later on, um, the same thing happened and they went into the Arsenal fans. A policeman or two policemen, women, I, I can't quite remember, went in. They were filming. I don't know if anyone got taken out or whatever. Um, but they were, they made so much noise and they were singing and they were, you know, it was quite infectious. It, it really caught on. And like I said, the atmosphere inside the ground, even if, everyone has their own disappointment with what happened, felt really positive, which is why I just thought it was a little bit strange that the team was, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not not quite as together as you thought yeah, they were. Yeah, there were sort of drips and drabs coming out. and uh, But, you know, I think individually the players and the fans shared that moment of appreciation as each player came round. Yeah. They'd get their reception or get their song sung. But it was a bit of a shame that it didn't all happen together. It was conspicuous as well. It didn't, unless we didn't see it, it didn't look like Mikel Arteta ever made the lap. No, I don't think he did. Um, media duties, maybe. Media duties, but also, like, because he is win, lose, or draw, he's there uh, at the like uh, to clap the fans at the end. Yeah, uh, particularly at away games, um, he makes an effort there, and I think he has done all season. I just think maybe it was. One, he wanted the players to to do it and get the appreciation. Um, And two, after the week we've had, maybe he was just a bit cognizant of the fact that, well, I don't know. I'm not saying he was afraid of any pushback or anything like that, but he felt maybe it wasn't the right thing to do after a week in which we've lost the Derby, we lost to Newcastle, top four went away. Maybe that's not seen as the, the right thing to do but I, I agree it was a little conspicuous yeah maybe that was a moment of self-consciousness um, maybe he just wanted it to be a moment for the players but it, it did strike me as a little bit odd only because the relationship mm. seems to have really improved between the fans and the manager and my sense in the stadium at least was that he probably would have got a fairly reasonable reception um, well I mean I think if he had gone round with all the players exactly. at the same time yeah the, the, you know, there wouldn't have been any... Nobody was going to throw rotten fruit or anything like that. No, you know? no, no. Um, I mean, also, I have to give a shout-out to the Everton fan who sent his two 
or three small children running down the stairs with flares. They had three of them in a row. These kids, they were running down the stairway with the flares in their hands. And then they got to the bottom and turned around and came back. And immediately they were surrounded by Arsenal stewards and the Everton fan. I was like, what? What What did they do do wrong? I was going, jeez, just do it yourself. These kids were about six or seven, you know? Yeah. Uh, Great fun for them, but like, come on. That's mad. Um, So there were a lot of number nines on the pitch. There were. It's an unusual situation for Arsenal, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Lacazette family and entourage were out in force. Yeah. So that tells you pretty much yeah, what's going to so. happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, Mikhail said in his press conference yesterday, decisions have been made, um, but it's difficult to communicate them at the present time. Right. Um, and I, I thought that was pretty evident that that was a goodbye. And the other one I thought was Pepe, who had his family out there and was spending quite a long time doing, you know, photos in the centre circle and yeah. all that. Yeah, he was the other one I thought of. Um, maybe Cedric, too. There was quite a lot of waving from mm. Cedric. I don't know if he just likes waving, though. Maybe he just really likes He waving. might just like waving. Who knows? Um, yeah, at some point, I think he had, like... Um, he had his uh, small child with him who was running around, but then he had to pick it up so you can't sort of applaud the fans while you've got a child in one hand. So your only option is actually just to wave and say thank you. But there was True. a lot of waving. There was a lot of waving. Um, at one point, he was trying to get the kid to, to give a wave and he was going, look, good, do it, do it, wave. Kid was like, I don't know what the fuck's going on here. <laughs> yeah, the kids were a mixture of sort of excited yeah. and confused. I yeah, think. yeah. Um, Beyond that, though, Bukayo Saka got an incredible reception as he went around the pitch. I don't know. Do you remember the banner that they had out? It was like, uh, thanks, thanks for the, for the love, love, or whatever it was. I don't know if they were young academy players or whatever who were who were tasked into, into doing that. But uh, in front of the goal uh, at our end, when Saka got there, all of these kids were like, can I get a selfie? Can I get a selfie? And he spent some time doing pictures with them. And then he was in front of that clock end group of fans who were really noisy and everything else. And like, I'm sure he realizes this anyway, that he's appreciated as a player and loved as an academy graduate. And and we can all see what he's done, how he's done it, what he can become, all of that kind of stuff. But we had a question, didn't we, the other night about uh, his contract and potential release clause in the contract and all the various things that people are going to talk about. But I don't think him being cheered from the stands is the major factor in whether or not he's going to commit his future to Arsenal Football Club. Mm. But it does help. We can't ignore the fact that it's a factor, right? Definitely. Uh, As I said earlier, I think emotion is a component in a lot of decisions and he he looks very happy at Arsenal and mm. that's a big factor in, in any any work decision. So I, I'm not overly worried about the contract. Famous last words and all that, but I think he wants to be here. He's in a brilliant position. He's the star of the team. Um, everything's set up for him. And how, how much of a priority do you think it is this summer like we all know we've got a lot to do we all know we've got plenty to do in the in the transfer market but is this something that we really should be sorting out this summer yeah i think it's a really big priority i think it will and i think it will feel like one if and when it happens you know that contract announcement i mean it was it was good enough when he signed one last time when he was just coming through and people were really excited about that 
I think it's essential Arsenal get that done this summer and I think they need to it should be right at the top of their to-do list really up there with you know the centre forward and central midfielder I I I think I'd probably have it sort of jointly with those as the the summer priorities yeah okay well we'll have to leave that one in their court Mikel Arteta's post-game comments were um, tinged with a lot of disappointment it's Uh, interesting isn't it because in the build-up to the game I felt like he was a lot more positive I think maybe because he was trying to yeah elicit an atmosphere for Sunday but I felt like in the in the pre-match you know he spoke a lot about when we reflect on the season, we'll feel really good about it. And then mm. at full time and in his post-match, he did seem slightly gutted. I think, I guess when you're in sport, you always have that hope that as long as something's possible, it, it, it might happen. Yeah. And that obviously went away with Spurs' win at Norwich. And obviously the, I think he, what did he talk about? I think I'm just trying to find the quote here. Um, he talked about guilt. Right. Um, he said, I'm still in a lot of pain after what happened. Um, <clears throat> he said, I'm extremely disappointed because we generated expectations that we wanted, that I wanted for this football club, because it's what it deserves. At the end, we came short. And that feeling of guilt and not reaching that level is is painful, is what he said. Um, I think whether you like Arteta or not like Arteta, you can't um, not connect with that um, no. because it's painful one way or the other. If you think if you are a real Arteta backer and you wanted this for him, the fact that it didn't happen hurts. The fact that it didn't happen for the football club, whether you want Arteta in or not, that also hurts. Mm. Um, and like, I don't know how to feel about it, really. I'm still doing a lot of processing about this. Mm. Um, but I wonder, I like that he sort of wears his heart on his sleeve a bit mm. in situations like this, that when things go wrong, he very rarely sugarcoats it. Like I think the quotes pregame about how, when we look back on the season, mm. we'll feel good about what we did. I think what he's trying to do is transmit a message to his players that we can do better than this. Yeah. More than it being a thing that this is good enough. And clearly from what he's saying there, he doesn't think it's good enough. Yeah. And I think, <clears throat> As I say, I think the timing of that being before the game, I think he wanted to engender a positive atmosphere to help us as much as yeah. possible on the final day. And almost now that's out of the way, I think we probably see his real disappointment yeah. uh, coming through. And I think you know a lot of people doubt uh, Arteta's credentials or certainly his experience or maybe his capability, but I think it's quite difficult to doubt the motivation and the desire and I think sort of uh, the sort of sporting ambition that underpins that. Um, You know, I hear a lot that we're sort of very comfortable with mediocrity or things like that. I I don't, I don't don't see that in him at all. No. Um, I think he always pushes for more and when it's going well, he's the guy saying we haven't done anything. Yeah. So, I'm not surprised that he feels. I'm not surprised he feels disappointed and and slightly responsible um, for the fact that Arsenal didn't get over the line mm. for top four. What was this quote like? We squeezed every bit from the lemon. I think he said as well. Yeah. Um, well, like I was talking to somebody uh, over the weekend about you know fitness and the players and 
how much they've had to give in the last couple of weeks of the season. And, and ultimately, it's a, it's a squad depth issue that in key positions, at key moments, we haven't quite had the, the depth that we need. And that's mm-hmm. that's been a problem, one of our own making, perhaps, you could say, if you wanted to. Um, but also one that we absolutely have to address when we're going into next season because the... The grind could be a lot greater when you're uh, playing Europa League, hopefully going further in the Cups next season uh, and continuing to push in the Premier League for the kind of improvement that we want. So there's an ele- there's a lot of clarity despite the disappointment too. You know, nobody's sitting here wondering what we've got to do. How are we going to do it? It feels clear whether or not we can i'm not saying it makes it easy but i i i kind of prefer that to like puzzling over like well how how do we fix this i think we can all see how yeah absolutely and and that work is already underway and it'll be hugely well it's a critical couple of months coming up and we'll have lots of time to talk about it we will all right anything else that you want to touch on in part one uh not really i think we summed up i mean no like I said it was just a great weekend and and uh, I think almost sort of secondary to the, the questions about you know was it a successful season um, was it a failure mm. it, it just was a lovely thing to spend that weekend well not just in the company of you guys but also so many of the listeners and people who enable us to do this I yeah mean, it was just a, a real pleasure yeah and it was great to go to a game of football again. I, I was going to gonna ask you about that. Yeah, like, uh, what, what what was that? Because you haven't been to a, an Arsenal live match for a while. Yeah, yeah, since before the the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so it was it was it was great. Um, just the match day experience, you know. Yeah. And look, yesterday was a beautiful day in North London. The sun was shining, sky was blue. It was really nice and warm. People were wearing their colours, going for drinks, you know, getting into the atmosphere, soaking all that up, uh, getting to the stadium. You know, I talked about this a little bit on the preview podcast with Elliot. Like, <clears throat> it's not that you forget. And, and like, I'm always slightly jealous and envious of people who can go every week mm. um, because there's something to it that is hard to express. The the sense of place, you miss it. I've, I've, it's not that I forgot it, but in the last couple of years with everything that's gone on, you, yeah, it, go, it gets to the back of your mind. Then immediately you come back and you see what football club is to a community how rooted it is in the in the the location mm-hmm. um and and how much goes on around it and how many people are invested i wasn't crying there it was just my voice is really croaky um you know how many how much it means to so many people on so many different levels above and beyond what happens on the pitch which of course is the most important thing but the experience, I've met some people who were over for their first ever game. Right. And they were, you know, slightly gutted that it, it wasn't going maybe to mean as much. But I just said, look, enjoy this, you know, for the day that it is. And there'll be other other seasons when, you know, the games will matter and everything else. It's just, it's the best. You know, I really had a, really had a great time with you guys, but also just kind of just sitting there and seeing the green grass when you come into the stadium and... and 
all of it. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah, it's great. And you're right in that. I understand why you'd be envious of people who get to, envious of people who get to go every week, but you know there is a risk in that case that you can begin to slightly take some of it for granted. And there's something quite special as well about you know having to wait and then come in and having that experience and it being yeah. a positive one. That's a lovely thing in its own right too. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we're going to take a, a little break here and we're going to get some questions and we'll do those in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to part two of the Arscast Extra. This is where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. I just want to read this one. I want to read this one out before we um, before we get on with them. It just sort of follows on from uh, what we were talking about at the end of part one there. Photonic Cannon says, Goodly morning, gentlemen. As I was leaving yesterday's game, I had a fall down the stairs at the stadium and dislocated my shoulder. I was helped by some wonderful stadium staff and the St. John Ambulance crew. This got me thinking about some of the great stories that come out of Arsenal about the work everyone at the club does to help fans and the local community. Part of the reason this season has been so enjoyable is the growing reconnection between fans and the club should we do more to appreciate the people at the club who help this happen every day uh, or who make the help this happen day to day uh, and who we as fans interact with most often and i think there is maybe sometimes um you forget what goes on behind the scenes and all the people who are at the stadium the stewards um the staff uh, you know, from all levels of the club who are there, um, who try and make everything as, as good as possible, as amazing as possible for, for fans. And you you realize, again, uh, when you go to a game, just how big an organization it is and how much there is going on and how many people, um, you know, are there to, to try and make our lives a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, the, the football club is way bigger than those 11 guys on the pitch. And yeah. That really comes home to you. I, I think maybe we're in a particularly sort of like uh, fortunate position to be able to talk about this, about what a club is and what it represents, because mm. we've had such a great experience this weekend in terms of kind of everything that comes with 
the club, even hearing about the work of the Arsenal Foundation as we did the live event the other yeah. day, it's kind of another element to the club that exists outside of what happens on the pitch. And I, I kind of, I had that experience last week where I was really down after the Spurs game and the Newcastle game. And what do Arsenal do? Of course, they do a kit launch, right? That's what Arsenal do. <laughs> but the nature of this kit launch and the film they put together and the charity element to the mm. kit, £5 donation for the kit, call me a sucker, but I fell for that because it, it makes you, it just brings home that this is all about, this is, there is more to this than just kicking the ball around, basically. Yeah, and it, 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 it does sound like a cliche and ultimately the kicking the ball around part is the most important aspect of it. No getting away from and, that. And look, how much people want to buy into anything else that the club do is, is personal. They can make their own decisions on that. They can just simply not care, which is fair enough, and focus on the results and the performances and where we end up every year. But, you know, we have to acknowledge that there are a lot of people for whom the club means, I don't mean to say it means more, but they can take more from... The it's a kind experience. of broader cultural yeah. engagement, basically. Yeah. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. That goes beyond matches. Yeah, um, but matches are the you know the the key. I mean, they're what people care about most, and it's what got us all interested in the first place. But there's a whole culture that extends beyond that, yeah. and yeah, that's I do for me that is important. Too. All right, and uh, photonic cannon. Hope your uh, hope your shoulder is okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, shall we have a question from Twitter? Yeah, why not? Uh, okay. What about this one? Josh, Josh Robinson, 87. I can't be the only one looking forward to being back in the Europa League? Question mark. I've just missed European football. How do you feel, Andrew? Are you looking forward to being back in the Europa League? I'm looking forward to us being back in Europe. Um, because uh, I tell you, this is the first season in... 25 years that we haven't had Europe well, yeah. in and of itself not a good thing for the football club and I'm going to talk about this from an absolutely and purely selfish point of view <laughs> as somebody who writes about Arsenal every day who um, does podcasts about Arsenal and wants to create good content for people I'm looking forward to things not like sometimes we played on a Saturday and then we wouldn't play till a Monday. How many times did we have like a nine day gap between fixtures? Yeah. It's really long and nothing much happens. No. Matches change everything. Well, they don't change everything, but you can like, if you have a good result at the weekend uh, and then you've got a game in midweek and you can have, you know, good or bad, it sort of changes the, you turn a new page. Yeah. And I feel like we've been on, we've been reading the same page over and over and over at times this season when it comes to, um, you know, things that are good and we try and extract, we squeeze the lemon out of every goodness. And when things go bad, we're stewing in our own misery for too long. Like if you lose a Premier League game, as you know, happens, if you've got a game on Thursday and you win that... Mm doesn't make losing the Premier League game any better, but you're thinking about something else and you're talking about something else. So from that perspective, I am looking forward to European competition again. Would I have rather to have Champions League? Of course, mm. like everybody. But um, I think 
maybe this time next year when we've uh, won the final in Budapest, maybe people <laughs> will look back and say, okay, maybe being in the Europa League wasn't that bad this season. I mean, listen, we just said matches are what got us all interested and matches are what we care about most. And having more of those as yeah. a fan is a good thing, I think. Yeah. Um, we all want to. We all love watching football. Yeah, it, it has felt. Uh, oh, this is terrible. It feels like my voice is breaking here in bits. But it has felt like uh, some of the talking points become became quite stale quite quickly mm. this season. Mm. Um, so just being able to to flip onto something new with European games and and there could be, you know, we we've talked. I'm sure uh, on this show about developing young players, but also some of the players who were fringe players who, who didn't get a great deal of minutes, um, giving them playing time next season, um, hopefully can keep us in, in good shape for Premier League as well, that their people are, players are more involved more regularly. Yeah, to a certain extent, we owe the development of people like Zachary and Smith-Rowe to the Europa League. You know, certainly that was an important uh, ground for them to... to make their breakthrough um, and maybe I'm not, I'm not convinced there's necessarily another generation like that immediately ready to step up but I, like you say I think there are developing players squad players who will really benefit from that yeah um, we had a couple of questions like this so let me do this one from the discord from hang on I gotta put my glasses on <laughs> and I still can't read it I think it's Brian Regan 09 who says uh, I should just uh, up the font a little bit so I can see it. Yes, Brian Regan 09. He said, with Torreira and Bellerin both seemingly failed to have secured permanent moves to their loan clubs, do you or James think either of these two players especially have a chance to be reintegrated into the squad? Both, in my opinion, are upgrades on El Nenny and Cedric. And on Twitter, the chief who's at macho underscore grande one said, with limited resources available and more players required, should the club prioritize its returning loan players? Adding Saliba and Bellerin to the squad will strengthen our defense, leaving more money to spend in attack. It feels like a no-brainer. Yeah, I, I see that. Um, I, I think it, you have to factor in, does the player want to come back, though? And... Mm. I think arguably in all three of those cases, Bellerin, Saliba, Torreira, there's some uncertainty about that. Mm. Um, and there has to be a will on that side. I mean, of, of, I say that, they're under contract. I mean, you, you can force them to come back. Yes. Um, Torreira's shirt is gone. His shirt number is gone now. Yeah, true. Although... I think they gave away on any shirt number, and but they gave away Saliba's shirt number as well to yeah. Ben White. Yeah, um, I mean El Nenny's the great. Um, he's the great. Uh, what's the word? Sort of example for a lone player of you know that you can find your way back into yeah. the plans. Yeah, uh, but you got to be pretty dogged in that pursuit. He really wanted it, and he said that he's been on record about mm. that. Um, I don't see Torreira coming back. Me either. Uh, I don't really see Hector coming back to be honest with you I think that leaving Arsenal for him was quite a big thing and he took that step and he had a fantastic year in Spain and I think he'll want to find a way to kind of you know mm. continue and progress do we know what the like the issue with Betis is it that they just can't afford a deal or 
Um, do they not want to keep him? Or I think they'd like to keep him, but mm. basically the problem Arsenal have is there's no money on the continent. There's no... Mm. If you're trying to sell Bellerin with a year left on his contract to a Spanish club, you're not going to get great offers. Um, mm. There isn't loads of money to go around unless you're one of the sort of super clubs who just find it, I don't know, God knows where, down the back of a yeah. sofa. Um, Torreira, probably to a certain extent, same is true in Serie A. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not hugely optimistic of getting great fees. I think Arsenal would like to get a decent fee factor better in that. And I almost feel like Betis's statement about he's come to the end of his loan, we wish him well. Mm. To me, that almost reads like the first move in a negotiation, you know, saying, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. we're not just going to pay what you asked for. What about Saliba? Because that is the one that I think is going to be a really big... Who, who is he, sorry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's been all over the news this week, hasn't he? Because he's yeah. young player of the year in France, I think, was he? I think so. Um, and I think some quotes of his uh, found their way in, into English and caught light somewhat when yeah. he spoke about wanting to stay with Marseille and play in the Champions League I'm, yeah. al I'm always a little bit suspicious about how I certain seen quotes the French. are no neither have I um, so and I did hear there may have been yeah I, I some heard that too interpretation yeah applied but obviously he's had a very good loan spell at Marseille and on the one hand you say well that's that's good when a young player goes out on loan a young player who Arsenal decided wasn't ready went on loan had a very good loan spell with Marseille um and is now a better player after that season of development. And he must have had a good time there. Um, so you can understand why he might want to stay. The issue for Arsenal, of course, is that we need more depth in the squad. We need another central defender going into next season. We've got one, but we have a complicated situation in that, A, we don't quite know where he stands with... Uh, the manager in terms of his pecking order. Mm. Um, I don't think he's going to... Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying to a 20-year-old central defender when you come back from a loan spell, okay, you'll get chances, but you've got to earn your place in the team. Or as if Marseille are offering him first-team football, that might be a more attractive thing for him. But I think the idea that you just walk back into the team without having to compete and to fight is counterproductive in its own way. I don't think Ars a club like Arsenal would tell many players that. No, exactly. Exactly. So then there's the contract situation where he's got two years left on his deal. We paid £28 million for him three years ago and he's never played a game for us. Mm. There is a, you know, there's an argument maybe that now... After that season, his stock is pretty high. And if he's not willing to sign a new contract at Arsenal, your your hand is in some way forced, you know, to maximize the value of the what I still think it was a really weird transfer three years ago. Well, and if it does go that way, if he does leave, then the loan has done great work in restoring his value and building up his value, which was not at this level 12 months ago. Um, again, partly to mismanagement on Arsenal's part, but I think obviously his value's improved over the course of this season. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. Mm. Um, I'm not sure he knows. I don't think there's been any huge clarity to the player about where he is in the plans or what the plans for him are. 
I think when he got called up to France, I said at the time, I thought that was bad news for Arsenal if, if they wanted to keep him because he got called up to the France squad in the international break, whenever it was, a couple of months ago, and there was a lot of injuries at centre-half and it, you know, it was credit to him, but it wasn't necessarily like you're in the thinking for the World Cup. He's been named in the squad again now, mm. which is seen as like a real indicator that there's a World Cup place there for him. Well, that's it. That World Cup looms large on the horizon. It's a matter of months away. Yeah. Um, and you can't underestimate how big that is for a, a young player. He also has had a great season at Marseille. I can't be 100% sure on this, but I think he might have grown up in a Marseille supporting household. I think Marseille might be his club. Ah, okay. Um, not 100% sure, but a couple of people have told me that. So I think that, you know, again, we're talking about emotional decisions there'll be an emotional component too. He's in the country where he feels at home. He's mm. in a stadium where he feels at home. He's got a coach he really likes as opposed to a coach who I think he probably feels doesn't necessarily rate him that highly. Um, so I said when I went out to France, whenever it was six weeks ago, I don't think he's coming back. And I I still don't think he's coming back to be honest with you. I think he'll want to, I think he'll he'll want to go somewhere where he's feels more comfortable okay well um but that's not what i would like i'd love no 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 I, I know exactly i know i think most people would i think there's i've never seen so much investment in any no. player who's never played a game f uh, for us it's it's a strange situation um and probably with hindsight there might be um, some regrets in terms of how certain things were handled and certain things were done I'm with sure. regards to him. Um, and like you, I would like him back. I think, you know, uh, like I do sometimes think that there's an element of people thinking this is the white knight of our defense who is going to make us absolutely perfect. He's had a really good season at Marseille, but he also had some moments where I think if he made mistakes in the Premier League, people would point fingers pretty quickly mm. you know and that's I'm not criticizing I'm just saying that is the reality of being a 20 year old 21 year old defender um, but two years yeah I, I, I'm not looking for him to come back as, as a white knight or the guy's going to fix our defence I'm looking for him to come back in my ideal scenario as one of four or five centre halves a group mm. who you know rotate as necessary and sort of share the load over what's going to be a taxing season the Europa League schedule is can be tricky and yeah. you need players and he looks like a very good player and as we've seen the last couple of weeks our two nominal first choice central defenders have kind of limped through patched up a little bit Ben White was there yesterday but on the bench mm -hmm. Gabriel has had some injury issues as well so you know there is football you can you can be sure that there's going to be football for, for William Saliba if he comes back. But whether or not he does, we'll wait and see. But that one's going to play out, I think, over the season. Yeah. Over the, the, other, the other thing I think that we shouldn't underestimate and that I was really struck by when I went to France is how massive Marseille are. You know, we think of the French League and the Premier League and, you know, there's, there is a disparity between those two competitions. But Marseille are a huge club they are kind of if if PSG are sort of the metropolitan elite Marseille they're kind of the Liverpool of France they're the romantic club if you will and hugely supported across the country L like we said probably playing in the Champions League next year mm. 
for a French boy who grew up in an area where a lot of people follow Marseille, I don't know. I think it's going to be a, have a real pull for him now. The, the, the question is, can they afford him? Um, yeah, I mean, you've got to cough up. Simple as that. Yeah, there's no way he yeah. goes without Arsenal getting their money back. I, you'd like to think. Yeah. I mean, we did we did talk about this in the live show a little bit, and I'm sure we'll maybe have a deeper conversation on this um, during the summer at some point. But our outgoing business has got to be better. Mm. We've got to we've got to get better at that. I think most people would acknowledge that last summer was encouraging when it came to recruitment and what we did, but question marks on on what we do the other way are, are still there. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed for that, yeah. Eddie and Kesha Tribunal. Then. <laughs> the extra 500 grand we get from that uh, that will be amazing go all the way uh, just while we're talking defence um, Senkwe on Twitter who's at Senkwe says seeing as we've actually shipped more goals than last season why does it paradoxically feel as though we have improved defensively because the first choice defensive unit is better but we've not seen it as much as we would like I think well, it's what's that's the stat 10 games 10 or games with <sighs> the first choice back four and I guess Ramsdale behind it Um, Tierney Gabriel White Tomiyasu it's not even a third of a Premier League season Um, and I bet our record in that well I know our record in that 10 games is markedly better Mm. so yeah I think uh, that is the key thing I think there are some other sort of smaller reasons like I think form you know players form in the second half of the season hasn't been quite as good as it was in the defensive part of the pitch but I do think it's that continuity that's been missed yeah I mean that's what we were trying to do right yeah that that seemed you know people talk about the plan um, and they focus on the age of the players that we brought in which is fair enough because that was a very obvious part of it but I think the plan part of the plan was to to have a consistent back four as much as possible. Um, and we haven't really had enough of it. So I think that's why it feels better because we can see how it can improve if we can, if we can feel that back four. And I think, you know, another thing is that this, the drop off between the, the first choice players and the backups yeah. is really big apart from in the goalkeeper position. Mm. So. Yeah, that's accurate. I think, particularly at fullback, you know, there is a big drop off there. And I also would add, we always talk about Thomas Partey's ability to sort of open the game up. We talk about what he does on the ball, you know, his ability to turn away, to pass between the lines. But I think we forget how important he can be in the physical aspect of the game, the duels defensively this season. When he's played, he's done a really good job at times. Mm. And I think without him, we have missed a bit of protection in front of the back four. Yeah, that's true. Have you got one there? Uh, I will do, yeah. So, what have I got? Um, I thought this was an interesting question from Joe, who's at Capt Joseph. Joe says, we tend to hold up Liverpool as the model to follow, smart recruitment, etc. How do you think it reflects on Arsenal and football as a whole that despite Liverpool's approach and quality, They've still only managed one Premier League title against City and their endless resources. Um, I think it, it reflects... I don't think it reflects badly on Liverpool. No, because <laughs> What, did they finish with 92 points? Yeah. You know, and they missed the title by a single point. I mean, they're going up... This is the best Liverpool team 
since the 70s or the 80s at least you know and they won titles in european competitions we had a similar kind of a question here um it was uh, on the Discord from Kieran E, who said, Manchester City have won four of the last league titles. To me, it almost feels like it doesn't count when they win because of their resources. At what point does the value of the Premier League start to be impacted? And I was in the in the bathroom in the stadium, and they play Sky Sports. Um, and I could hear them talking, and, and somebody, or somebody was asking, it could have been Jamie Redknapp or something, and... Uh, you know, Phil Foden, he's 22 years of age and he's won four Premier League titles. <laughs> and I was like, really? Has he? Yeah. Like, it's not that I'm unaware of Man City winning the title. It just doesn't connect with my brain in or my heart yeah. in any way. I'm just completely passive about what they do because of how they do it. And they blur into one, don't they, yeah. the title wins? I yeah. mean, I couldn't tell you. I probably remember Liverpool winning the league more clearly than I do any of those Man City. For sure. The same. The same. And what does it say about the Premier League? I don't know. I mean, I think that both teams... It was a very dramatic final day, of course, but both teams deserve massive credit. And I think there is an extent to which, you know, they're, they're pushing each other to these extraordinary lengths. I think they make each other better yeah I think there's something to that yeah. uh, in the same way that you know Wenger and Ferguson that kind of rivalry mm. can produce um, fantastic teams at times but I do think there is a really interesting question about you know w- plausibility for Arsenal and what success what constitutes success in this context there's another big long discussion at yeah some point. but I, I know I know what you mean it feels like like if if Liverpool can maintain the the level that they have over the next number of years, maybe they'll win another title or two. But City will just continue to throw so much money at it, and they've added a centre forward who I hear is not too bad. Yeah, I think he's quite good. All right, um, it is kind of disheartening, isn't it? Because if you look at Liverpool, for my money, it's sort of genius recruitment, maybe one of the greatest managers of all time I mean he, he is a, an, in my opinion a completely outstanding manager and I wanted him to be Arsenal manager when he was at Dortmund and mm. I I, uh, I feel like I was right about that <laughs> now <laughs> but um, and yet they're only going to have that one Premier League from, from this run of outstanding seasons it, it is kind of crazy it is like I don't know how you go through a league season and win I mean let me just um, get up the stats here while we're talking. Um, like 92 points we already talked about, but uh, if you're a Liverpool fan, mm. which obviously we're not, but like... I know okay, I sound like one right now, but I'm not. Played 38, won 28, drawn 8, lost 2, scored 94 goals yeah. and conceded... 26 with a goal difference plus 68 and you've got 92 points not good enough i'm afraid uh, that's not good enough <laughs> like <laughs> i yeah i mean i i completely understand the question about like what does it say about the premier league when it feels inevitable that under this current city setup with pep in charge with the money that they have with the way that they i don't know they seem to get 
have people just accepted it as a matter of irreversible fact, if you like, that this is what City are going to do and how they're going to do it with the money and where it comes from. City fans obviously don't give a fuck. No. But it seems like the rest of the Premier League don't give a fuck either. Well, I wonder if City are helped by the fact that kind of for a lot of fans they are sort of the neutral choice, aren't they? So most Arsenal fans probably would say I'd rather City win it than anybody else because we hate all the others. Mm. Um, and so people aren't calling them on it. I mean, it's all it's interesting in the context of La Liga's uh, statement about PSG. Did you see that? No. So obviously, Kylian Mbappe turned down Real Madrid. Um, I mean, yeah. To stay at Paris Saint-Germain. I think it's reported... Uh, you know, it's just something obscene, isn't it? It's like, like a million, million euros a week, a week or something like that. Yeah, like I understand why you can't turn that down, but I do think as a as a football player and as you know, potentially one of the best players in the world, I don't know how much can you take from winning La Liga with PSG. Mm. I mean, I know there's a similar argument, like you're going to Real Madrid, so chances are you're going to be involved in a in a title race anyway. But it feels just maybe a bit more naturally competitive in Spain than it does in France. Yeah, and, and anyway, La Liga then issued this quite extraordinary statement saying, uh, like about PSG, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially, you know, calling them out and saying, like, how is a club allowed to pay these kinds of salaries? It's, you know, yeah, essentially the financial irregularity of it and the whole nation state thing. Um Unfortunately, within that context, it seemed like very sour grapes. But I think there were actually some good points in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I, I suppose the only question with City and the Premier League will be, does it endure beyond Pep? And that will be an interesting test. Well, it doesn't look like he's going anywhere for a few years anyway. So, no. And, s- sign a new deal. And ultimately, football's governed by money. And I saw the league table today, which was, I think maybe Sky did it. It was salaries against final position. Right. And I think we were fifth on salaries and fifth in our final position in the table. Mm, that probably wouldn't apply to the team in fourth, though. No. <laughs> no. So, you know, it's it's not that it's completely dictated by that. But yeah, like many people, City just leave me completely and utterly cold. And like, I'm not saying... Yeah. I know people hate Klopp or they hate Liverpool, but I kind of rather Liverpool won it against the odds. I'm not saying there's some like plucky underdogs or anything like that, because what they've done is built, as you say, with a with a great manager and great recruitment and everything else. But you know, like it'd be like if I cared about French football, I'd rather anyone than PSG won the league. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what football can do about it now. And we have had that in France. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. Um, but, a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, okay. Let me see if I can find a question here. We've got to do a couple of quick ones because um, we've got to get out of here. We've got planes to catch. We have got planes to catch. Uh, yeah, another one actually uh, from 3score10 on Twitter who's at Envisage. If you've got time for a non-club specific item... Pitch invasions and player assaults, the whys and how to stop. Why no police? Uh, manpower money, someone's going to get seriously hurt. And I like the hashtag, 
Hashtag Monica Seles. Yeah. Uh, remember, she got um, stabbed, and there were a few questions about it as well. There was one on Patreon that I can't quite find here. Well, I have to say, um, on this subject, Patrick Vieira's name was being sung quite uh, loudly right. by the Arsenal fans at points in the game yesterday. And, I, and although there is a serious context to all this, I did enjoy the brief return of the 1990s version of Patrick Vieira. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think they forgot. I think the suit had people fooled. You know? Yeah, you should have kicked that little prick harder, if you ask me. Uh, it's a problem. I mean, it happened again at Man City, didn't it? Yeah, um, the, the Aston Villa, Villa goalkeeper. Yeah. Which is fucking mad. I, I, I don't know what gets into people. It's just like... Like, I understand celebrating. Yeah. And I understand the, like, ha-ha, you lost element of it as well, because, you know, I, I enjoy that. But, I mean, I think the, the very obvious... Um, the very obvious solution is that any team or any club whose fans invade the pitch um, have to suffer some kind of points deduction. Right, yeah. Um, that would immediately, I mean, the difficulty is, of course, you could get a load of fans that run on the pitch, you know, who aren't necessarily fans of that club. But mm. Or put them behind closed doors, I think, as well. That can work as a punishment. Yeah. If fans misbehave. Yeah, and maybe a second offence or whatever is a, yeah. is a points deduction. But yeah, somebody will get hurt because, look, accidents can happen. And, um, you know, you can... Yeah, I don't want to get too um, grim on this, but like one idiot sucker punching somebody from behind or something like that is, you know, could potentially be really, really damaging. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not great. Whack on the back of the head. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's it is dangerous and... Unfortunately, it's becoming a bit of a trend. Hmm. Um, and it's a shame. It is a shame because in a purely romantic sense, there is something love, lovely about a pitch of invasion in yeah. the right context. You know, it can be a really special moment. Yeah. But the behavior of a few individuals means it just can't be permitted hmm. in the current context. Um, oh, I enjoyed this question. Dermot Kelly, what are your feelings on Burnley going down? Again, I don't really give a shit. Um, I, I think I'm not even I, glad to see the back of them. He, he made the point that them. they've been a thorn in our side, but they're also one of the only lower half teams that could affect the top of the league with surprise results. I feel the possibility for shock results will suffer with their absence. Yeah, I'd, I'd need to look, but I feel like we've racked up quite a lot of points against Burnley. Yeah, I think we've years. got some old traumas that sort of colour our perception yeah. of Burnley. Like I know we had that recent game in January, which was a nil-nil and everything else. But I think in in recent times we've we've inflicted far more pain on them than they have on us. If mm. you think about some of the goals that we scored, the Koscielny goal, remember the handball one? Yeah, that would definitely have been um, disallowed in in the VAR era, and there was a really late penalty if you remember in one of the yeah, games, true. Alexis Sanchez. So I think we've done more to them. You know, long-standing um, personal. Uh, issues with leads. Um, I think I would you like to see them go down more? Yeah, but uh, again, ultimately, I don't give a fuck one way or the other. You know. Yeah. Um, right. Two very quick ones to 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 see us out. Um, Freddie Grace, who's at Crypto Plan or Crypto Lannon. Uh, on Twitter says, when do you envisage our summer transfer work getting done early on, giving the players a chance to take on a full preseason or later in the window uh, as the shakeout of the transfer window unfolds? I hope we strike hard and quickly. Um, and I think, 
you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I have a sense that they are going to try and do that with their main targets for the key positions. And then afterwards, we might just see the normal machinations of the transfer market. Yeah, and I think there are some parts of the pitch where there might be an addition if somebody goes and you've got to wait and let that play out. If you think about last summer, we did business kind of in two waves, really. Like early on, um, Arsenal went and got Sam B and... Uh, Ram, Ramsdale and White, was it? No, not Ramsdale. White, they at least, that was very much that in was motion. On, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then towards the end of the window, there was kind of another wave once the season started, which was like Odegaard, Ramsdale. Um, yeah, White was one of the earlier ones. And I think that is quite a natural way to do it. You go and get the players you feel you can get now uh, and, you know, try and tick one of those, one or two of those boxes off. Then people leave, you slightly reassess, the market moves, players who weren't available in May sometimes are in August or they've agitated for a move, situation changes. So it wouldn't be surprising to me if we saw a similar thing, maybe one or two early in the summer and then more business towards the end of the window if needed. What do you make of the stories this morning that that Spurs are interested in Gabriel Jesus? Is that agent stuff? Is that real? Would you be worried if they were actually after him because they can offer a Champions League? I would, but then I would also look at their front three and say, can they offer him what we can offer him? You know, Harry Kane, Kulusevski, Son, to a certain extent, they pick themselves. Does he want to go there and be a rotation player? I think the point of Gabriel Jesus coming to Arsenal is he thinks, I'm going to play, I'm going to be the man. The main man, yeah. The main man. And I think that's what Arsenal can offer him that Spurs probably can't. Um, And I do think that'll give us an advantage. I think... Uh, what we also have in our court is Edu and Arteta and I think that's really interesting like mm. Arteta's obviously worked with him they've got a connection and Edu Edu was the technical coordinator of the Brazil squad when Jesus made his debut Yeah, and you know his job was handling the call-ups dealing with all the players so they've got a close connection as well so I'd still feel confident um, and also Spurs <laughs> Famous last words. We see him holding up the white shirt tomorrow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think that that aspect of it, what we can offer him, um, is important for the player when he's thinking about the next Surely. three or four years. Okay, final one from Dean Van Wyn, um, who's at Dean Van Wyn on Twitter. Simple one. Was Lacazette a good signing? Oh, man. Uh, I would probably say no. I'd say no. What about you? No. I think when you spend 50 million on a striker and you don't get consistent 20 goal a season output from him and you sort of, I'm not saying the Aubameyang signing completely undermined the Lacazette signing, but for Arsenal to spend over 100 million pounds on two strikers within six months of each other, it probably suggested that the the decision-making or the due diligence or whatever it was going into that summer when we signed Lacazette wasn't where it should have been. Yeah, it always felt like a signing Arsene wasn't entirely sure about. And ultimately what's happened over the intervening years has kind of borne that out. 50 million is a lot of money now. It was a lot of money then. And I don't think you can say we've had value. And he's walking away for nothing. Yeah. So I'd have to say, no, not a good signing. Not a good signing. Even though I like some aspects of the player. Sure, I get it. I get it. Okay, well, look, we have got to leave it there because we do have places to go. 
um, uh, trains to catch, people all that to be. kind of people to be, and all that. Uh, it was amazing hanging out this weekend. Thank you so much. It is still weird to me doing these face to face, but uh, <laughs> we, we've we've grown more comfortable. You've relaxed onto the chaise lounge in my hotel room here. It's like therapy couch. Yes, yeah, it is a bit. It is a bit. I uh, know it's been really fun, and and hopefully, as you said at the top, we'll do more of these and more in person in future. For sure. All right. For you guys, uh, thanks for being with us all season. All season All long. season long. There's another one done and dusted. And wow. now we get into the mayhem of the summer. But like I said, we've got time to... Now the real action starts, yeah. guys. We've got the season out the way. It's transfer time. <laughs> uh, okay, listen, we'll leave it there. Thank you, as always, for listening. And we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 